You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hi, I'm Liam Hooper. And I'm Peterson Toscano. Together, we co-host the Bible Bash podcast. Each month, we look into a different ancient story. We're curious to find insights into our own queer lives. We discuss these and share our findings with you. You can find the Bible Bash podcast pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out at the end of each month. is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ross Blotcher, co-host of my all-time favorite podcast, Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Oh No, Ross and Carrie investigates fringe scientific claims. They join cults. They join fringe religious movements. They investigate every weird, outlandish, interesting claim, and they do so with kindness and compassion and listening while also managing to be skeptical. They are truly a fantastic podcast. Also, if you haven't heard my interview with Carrie Poppy from several weeks ago, who is the other co-host of Oh No, Ross and Carrie, please do that. She is also wonderful. In this episode, we discuss what Ross has learned from Scientology, the positives that he has gained from exploring fringe religious movements. We also talk about the rise of conspiracies in America and how to deal with that as people dedicated to science and skepticism. And uh, we also spend a good chunk of time talking about my own Satanism. He was curious to understand where I'm coming from, and he asked me some really great questions about my own religious practice, so you can look forward to that as well. But before we get to all of that, I have to thank my patrons. My patrons really are getting me through this rough financial time right now, and they are ensuring the long life of my work. They are guaranteed that I can bring you interesting content on the blog and podcast every week because this really does take an enormous amount of work. And I believe in what I'm doing and I believe in bringing it to the world for free. I believe in providing free, interesting conversations for everyone to enjoy. But it does take a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of equipment, a lot of editing, and a lot of misery sometimes. And so my patrons really keep me going. For this episode, I have to thank my latest patrons, Jim, Melanie, Mobius Trip, Audrey, Catherine, Megan, Gutter Sniper, and Victoria. Thank you so much. I truly could not do this without you. You are my personal lords and saviors. And if you're listening to this and interested in joining my Patreon, then please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. There's a link in the show notes for a dollar a month or five dollars a month. You get extra content every 
week. This show is also sponsored by the thesatanictemple.tv. Thesatanictemple.tv has all kinds of amazing content from live streams, movie nights, feature-length films, documentaries, really all kinds of fascinating stuff for anyone who is satanic or Satan-adjacent or just interested in occult, weird, fringe, new religious stuff. And if that interests you, you can get one month free by using my promo code at checkout, sacred tension, all caps, no space. Also, most of the conversation about my work takes place on my Discord server. Sometimes it isn't enough to just listen to a podcast. Sometimes you need community. Sometimes you need like-minded people. And if you're interested in joining my wonderful little community of degenerate unicorns, then just follow the link in the show notes. And uh, I would love for you to take part in the conversation. And finally, there are many other ways to support this show. If you're unable to give financially, don't worry, I completely understand. Life is hard right now. The economy is rough right now. And I really need you to take care of yourself first and foremost. However, there are other ways that you can support the show. The best way is to just subscribe wherever you're listening. Share it with your friends. If you like the work that I'm doing, please take the time to like it on Twitter, share it on social media. And if you have a bit more time, then please leave a five-star review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it on the show and give you a little shout out. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, I am delighted to welcome Ross Blotcher to the show. Ross Blotcher, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Yeah, so... Great to talk to you. It's great to have you on the show. And, you know, listeners will know that several weeks ago, I had Carrie, your co-host, on the show. And I will refrain from raving about <laughs> your show to you the way I did to Carrie, but... Just don't don't refrain. <laughs> just know, just know, everything that I said about her and her work applies equally to you, and in that oh, well, you, thank you so much. You and Carrie have had such a huge influence on me, such a huge influence on my journey out of Christianity, my journey out of theism and and supernaturalism, and, and into kind of a, a kind atheism or a kind non-theism. And I've found my home in the Satanic Temple, and I really credit your show, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, as being a crucial part of that journey. So wow. everything, well, everything that I said about Carrie applies to you, so I owe you an enormous thanks just because your work has been super influential on me. With that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, that's the a highest compliment we can ask for. And, and it's weird because I still kind of picture us as upstarts in my mind. So for you to mention us being part of your journey, I have to remind myself, that's right, we're coming up on 10 years that you we've are. been joining fringe religious groups, undergoing alternative medical treatments, and all kinds of other crazy things that we do for the podcast. Absolutely. And I think that your show, Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie, is maybe the only show that I've listened to, I think, almost every single episode of. So, oh wow! Like all of the, I don't even know how many thousands of hours that is at this point. Yeah, you, I was just gonna say I calculated it a while back, and it how was many, how an intimidating. How much was it? I'm now curious. I'm, now I'm trying to remember, yeah. but it was over 
over 300 hours. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. So I have listened to you and Carrie talk for over 300 hours. And, (laughs) you know, and it was therapeutic, honestly, because I was in a place where what I needed the most was kindness. And Mm. what I needed the most from, you know, as I was working through the incredibly difficult process of, you know, my faith falling apart, losing my Christian faith. And it was a long process. It was a years-long process, and it was just so raw and so painful. I realized, I realized looking back that what I really needed was kindness. Mm, mm-hmm. And I didn't find a lot of that in the atheist world. I didn't find a lot of kindness in the skeptic world. But I found it on your show. And uh, well, that's, yeah, yes, yeah, sad but understandable. I mean, wonderful that you found it in the show, but sad that it wasn't uh, elsewhere for you. And I, I think that uh, knowing my own experience and how, having talked to many others, I think we all go through these fairly similar stages as we get out of faith. There's that initial phase of questioning mm-hmm. where you have to kind of reorder your priorities and allow yourself to ask questions about these things that you've always been kind of taught not to put on the chopping block when it comes to questioning. And then you get down the road and then you have to uh, find that moment where you can ac- actually switch your way of thinking and try looking at the world in a new way. And then you go into this kind of zealous uh, fugue where you really just want to have debates with everybody and just mm-hmm. hash all this out. And you've got all this I went through that. fresh knowledge. Yep. You get, you just need to share it and get on the wrestling mat and like have it out with <laughs> others. And, and I think... All along the way, there's different approaches and materials that you're interested in and need to internalize. And I did all of that. But then you get to a point where you think, okay, well, now I've got to move on with my life and form community and replace Mm -hmm. some things that I had before. And yeah, if you don't have that kindness and you don't have relationship within all that, you're you're kind of um, unmoored. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get too far along in this conversation, tell my audience some about what you do, about the work that you do on your podcast. Yeah. So uh, so for anyone who hasn't listened, uh, Oh No, Ross and Carrie is a show where I, uh, my friend Carrie and I, we, we really did just start as friends, kind of like-minded friends. Uh, we want to report on things to do with spirituality and claims of the paranormal and alternative medicine, uh, fringe science, anything that has a a component of uh, something that might buck against scientific consensus or scientific understanding of the world. And we want to try it out firsthand. We want to just get in there. And if it's a group uh, you know, this is all formed, of course, long pre-COVID. You know, we want to join. We want to be there. We want to see what happens. How do they bring new members in? How do they respond to your questions? How, when do they ask for money? How much money do they ask for? Mm-hmm. What do they give you to read? Um, you know, what is the whole strategy for bringing new people in? And and so uh, while we'll try to get some additional information and go in depth to give people kind of a hopefully fuller sense of what the beliefs are of a particular group or practice. What I think we're mainly focused on is giving people that idea of what it's like off the street. What is the experience if you just show up and, uh, and, and we say we show up so you don't have to. So there's the idea that that's kind of vicarious or virosis, um, that you're <laughs> getting the experience through us. 
but also, um, you know, we, we do add, of course, you can uh, do it on your own if you hear our experience and you decide, yeah, I, I want to check this out on my own. I want to join Scientology. I'm going to go to the local... Yeah? Local sign. No, I'm not personally going to join join Scientology, okay. <laughs> but you can with uh, Ross and Carrie's inspiration. Yeah. So actually, that brings up a question that I always have listening to your shows, which is, is there anything ha- has there been anything that has actually been useful that say from Scientology, say from Mormonism, from really unexpected places, really unexpected mm-hmm. groups and practices have there been useful things that you have been able to incorporate into your own life that you've like even though even though you aren't a believer and you are not a scientologist i mean i guess technically you were a scientologist since you were right you joined <laughs> technically you were a right. mormon since you joined but <laughs> yeah is there stuff in unex in these unexpected places that you've actually been able to incorporate into your life and find healthy and helpful I mean, the quick answer is yes, absolutely. Um, and there's okay. there's kind of the the general uh, benefit of interacting with other people and ideas and just learning more about the world and and learning to uh, kind of understand a little better the variety of experience and how to interact with people. But for me personally, I would say yes, uh, to use Scientology as an example, because they're sort of one that you could easily point to and say, well, there's not too much oh, good yeah. about Scientology. Exactly. They're one of the most, you know, spooky and demonized new religious movements right. right now in America. Yeah. And so they like spook everyone. And they're they're fascinating for many reasons, because uh, th- there's so much that they do that uh, on the face of it is just the actions of uh, destructive cult. And uh, and I think for many people on the outside, it's just this kind of train wreck that we love to watch. But Right now we're focusing on the positives. And one thing I can say is that uh, they they have this analogy slash illustration slash piece of tech that L. Ron Hubbard came up with. And it's the... Describe describe what they mean by tech real fast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good <laughs> for, point. For, for, new religious, for new religious movement nerds like us, we know what right. tech means. But what do... But for people who don't know, what does that mean? Yeah. So one of the hallmarks or one of the checkbox lists uh, for a cult is the creation of new language, new vocabulary. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always say... It's it's really hard to uh, describe cult in any kind of meaningful terms, and I always think of it more as like a checklist, a system of behaviors. And if you hit enough of the check boxes, you've kind of entered that category. And Carrie and I use that term very advisedly, but it, it fits Scientology. Mm-hmm. So, as part of the custom language that L. Ron Hubbard created, there there's certain words that get used like uh, critical is a really bad thing. You know, if you're going critical, you're um, you're off morally. And so that's a good way for them to uh, get people a, a bit inured to the word critical. And when they see it, it sets off little warning uh, lights. So in the same way, tech is short for technology and essentially any system that L. Ron Hubbard has created, whether it be for succeeding at business or teaching students how to learn, they'll refer to that as tech, short for technology. So um, so yeah, one of those pieces, one of those little methods they have is this thing called the ARC triangle. And it's actually, it's one of the triangles in the Scientology logo. You see it kind of looks like this big fancy calligraphy 
calligraphic S and it's got two triangles behind it. One of them is the KRC triangle. One is the ARC triangle. So I'm talking about one of those and it stands for affinity, reality, and communication. And the idea is that you have um, affinity, which is uh, just how how much you like somebody, how much you feel a connection to them. A reality is your shared reality and understanding of the world. And communication is just, you know, that one doesn't really need explanation. We know what communication mm. is. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that as you seek to foster and create relationships in life, as you increase any one of those three edges of the triangle, you'll increase the others. And I love the way they describe affinity. They describe it as like how close you want to be to someone and that you can kind of physically see it when you don't have affinity with someone you either with body language you kind of shy away from them or you just will remain standoffish but the more you feel connected to someone you'll want to get closer to them and and I like that as a model I think you know you can evaluate relationships and sort of look at aspects of it and say oh hey that's a sign you know we're kind of staying away from each other that shows we lack affinity maybe i can increase a bit of our communication maybe i can increase a bit of our shared reality maybe find a common basis that we can talk on so i i like it as a model i i don't think that knowledge is exclusive to scientology i don't think you can't you can't you can separate it from Scientology. There's nothing that says you can't do that uh, from the practices and beliefs of Scientology. But I think it's a really helpful little illustration. Yeah, and you know, I run into little things like that all the time. And one of the things that I find myself thinking about frequently is truth is true no matter who says it or Mm -hmm. something is helpful no matter who says it and so even if it comes from you know terrifying cultists yeah it if it's true and it's helpful it's it's almost like we can i i find it empowering to take truth from wherever i find it even if it is from some darker places you know. It's funny, uh, even when I was a Christian, I remember being uh, taught and told that uh, the best Me place— Me too, <laughs> yes. The, the best place to hide a lie is between two truths. And, yes, exactly, and now I've and, taken that and run with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, Carrie and I come into these things knowing that usually they're full of good people, well-intentioned people, because most humans are good and well-intentioned. And oftentimes when they've been led to do something bad or hurtful, it's because it's kind of hijacked their good intentions. And Scientology is really good at that. The people who join think they're saving the world, and this is you know, their duty and, and what they can contribute. And so that that's sort of been hijacked in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I can think of other things too that I've pulled as as useful takeaways from our other investigations. Like one I often mention is our speed reading episode, uh, because I, I learned that it's silly to think that you can just sort of flip through the pages and read through, you know, at that kind of absurd pace. But uh, from the class we took, I learned all of these really helpful strategies, and it gave me confidence. Uh, and I tried a lot of those different things, and I ended up, every year since then, I've increased the amount that I've read, and I found that for me, that's something that really increases my personal life enjoyment. Hmm. That's fantastic. So is there anything that, and actually I, I announced on Twitter just 
a while ago that I'll be interviewing you and if anyone had any questions. And one person did have a question. Let me pull this up real fast. Okay. Um, while, you, while you're doing that, I'm, I'm going to throw in one additional really big personal benefit. And that was yes, please the do. Seventh-day Adventists that, that we interacted with. They were the ones that convinced me to go vegetarian, whereas, you know, hanging out with Carrie all the time didn't quite put me over the line. <laughs> Them talking about all of the weird birds that you can't eat according to the Bible and just sort of seeing that they had found this sort of loopy way to get to vegetarianism sort of told me, well, if they can do it for their reasons, why can't I do it for mine? That's great. I am also a vegetarian, so I welcome you into the... Uh, nice vegetarian fold um we will also be great for the apocalypse that's happening in 2021 because we are <laughs> grass-fed and we are <laughs> we taste better than everyone else so uh we haven't been I, free range for a while though fair yes not free range but you know i i do manage a local organic grocery store so i'm mostly organic and grass-fed so i am publicly announcing here and now that I offer my flesh to the masses <laughs> in in the apocalypse. Okay. Um so you were talking <laughs> you were talking about your uh, upbringing as an evangelical. So, you know, we we just discussed things that you have found helpful in your investigations. Mm -hmm. uh, Megan on Twitter asked, as a former evangelical, what occult stuff still gives you the creeps, if any? Uh, so is there is there anything in your investigations that still creeps you out or makes you go, ooh, like, what what does that for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I can still connect with that feeling I had of things being forbidden and dark and... Um, uh, you know, something to avoid. Right now, we're in a series on uh, exorcism, both which Carrie is great. It oh. is so good. Oh, thank you. Every uh, everyone needs to go. Yes, with um with uh Bob Larson. Yes, I grew up under the with the influence of Bob Larson. Like I I grew up where Bob Larson was like a household name. <laughs> Oh wow! And so okay, it's really cathartic. Listen, and I and my like parents were, you know, they did deliverance ministry and exorcism, and I grew up with this shit. So wow. your current series on exorcism is very cathartic. Everyone needs to go listen to it. Bob Larson is still very active, but uh, you know he's pushing this vision of the world that is filled with all of these demonic principalities and demons and. Uh, and, you know, we're fighting the spiritual warfare. And I, I can still remember that mindset. And so when I, for the an investigation, you know, we step into something like a, a psychic shop and we see the, the crystals and the, um, you know, someone doing Reiki or uh, even when we went to the Ordo Templi Orientis, that was like a real moment where you had the naked priestess on the altar and were <laughs> eating, eating these crackers that may or may not have semen baked into them. And I, I just remember thinking, this is everything that the Bob Larsons of our childhood warned us about and had fever dreams about. And here and I am. And now you're doing it. <laughs> it I, I would say that it's it's almost more exciting to me than creepy but i can connect with that creepy feeling and there's this sense of uh kind of it's more fun because it's forbidden and i still have that sense of 
uh, forbiddenness. I think that my family probably inadvertently contributed to me being a Satanist mm. because of the dynamic, that exact dynamic that you just described. Um, yeah. I, because I, it, it, yeah, go I on. I mean, c- counter me if I'm wrong, but it, it feels like kind of the appeal of the Satanic Temple is that it does sort of just poke the rib of that Christian sensibility and sort of delight it in tickles it. it. And, uh, it tickles it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it isn't, it, it like isn't, that. yeah. And it isn't for anyone's benefit, but our own. And also mm. that isn't a universal experience within Satanism. You know, there, there are a lot of Satanists who come from atheist households. They were never a theist. They were never Christian or they come from completely different religions. I mean, we mm-hmm. have, um, you know, there, I, I, I'm, I say we have as if I can speak on behalf of the temple, which I'm not. My observation is that we have people from all different types of religious backgrounds or no religious background, but there is a pretty strong thread of especially, you know, women, LGBT people, etc., from Christian backgrounds oh, yeah. who yeah. who were demonized and oh, as- associated our sexuality with the demonic. And it's like you do that to a group of people and guess what? They're going to start to they're going yes. to start to associate the demonic as an empowering thing, right? Yeah, and exactly. They'll lay claim to it and make it their we, own. We have lay and that is exactly what I've done where, you know, my satanism is deeply intertwined mm. with being a gay person and with my queerness. And yeah. Satanism and queerness are like almost one and the same for me. They're deeply, deeply intertwined. Mm. And um, there's, but there's still that sense of the forbidden because of my upbringing. Which is also kind of sexy. It is totally sexy. It is to <laughs> it is super hot and it is I remember uh, a friend joking yeah. that uh you know as we're all rightly debate uh, uh, rightly fighting for uh gay marriage equality uh one of my friends was joking well sex won't be as fun if I'm allowed to be married to my partner because <laughs> it won't be as forbidden anymore. Which is when you have to, you know, role play and like go out to the woods and, there we and go. Uh, pretend to do it that way. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and so you have to like get into the headspace of it being forbidden. Oh, Mike um, Pence is so mad right now. Mike Pence is <laughs> <laughs> I, um, Exactly. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, to the to the listener's question, uh like I still actively collect in fact my wife was just chastising me for this today i collect uh, tarot cards and i'll buy stuff online i've got beautiful my own set of dowsing rods my own pendulum you know i try to get the nice stuff and you get all I the sleep, spooky stuff i sleep next to a haunted doll and under my pillow there's a like a little voodoo implement that carrie got me years ago and i totally forgot about <laughs> until i reached my <laughs> hand under my pillow uh, a few weeks back and realized oh that's right that's still under there uh, i've got like a whole cabinet of curiosities and I was just lamenting the other day. I realized, oh, shoot, I don't have my own crystal ball, and I've never actually gotten a crystal ball reading. Note to self, uh-huh. get crystal ball reading. Amazing. You know, I share that exact same affinity for spookiness where, you know, I have so many tarot cards and <laughs> and, and decks, and, you know, my office is full of 
all kinds of spooky things. So I am right there with you. That's one of the fun things about the podcast is it gives us an excuse to buy ghost meters and and even some fun (laughs) like tech equipment when we did a flat earth investigation. Well, I guess I just have to buy the Nikon P900 with the super zoom lens. I got it. I guess so. By the way, that was a great series you did on flat earth. Everyone needs Uh, to go listen to that as well. Yeah. So everyone who is interested in weird fringe things like flat earth or or demon possession, or you know, urine you did therapy. something on. Ooh, say that one more time. <laughs> urine therapy. Urine therapy. Okay, I. Oh. By the way, I am still fucking haunted <laughs> by by the audio. It was just the audio of uh-huh. <laughs> you and Carrie drinking your own fucking urine, mm. and like the mouth sounds uh, of of you and Carrie drinking your own urine. And I'm like, I when I'm on my deathbed with dementia, <laughs> this is what I'm going to remember. <laughs> like, oh, no. not the not the wonderful moments with my partner. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> but you're welcome. anyway. You're yes, great. So ev- all that aside, anyone who's interested in stuff like flat Earth or urine therapy or anti-vax, Ross and Carrie probably have a series on it. And it is definitely worth listening to, which kind of leads me to something else that I want to ask you, which is I feel like everyone who is listening to this probably has at least one of those friends Mm -hmm. who is anti-vax, who is QAnon, who is flat earth, flat earther, so on and so forth. You know, we all I know. I know those people and and um, yeah. we have to live in we live and work with them. You know, these are people and these these are people we love. That's the thing. These are friends. These are family. These are people who are right. fun at parties. These are people who <laughs> we who we probably really enjoy the company of a lot of them. What advice would you give to people? And by the way, to contextualize this, um, we are recording this on January 11th, which which means just last week we watched the conspiracy fueled insurrection at the mm-hmm. Capitol. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I really think conspiracy played a central role in that. And so 100%. conspiracy is 100 percent, you know, and so we all watched Jaws Agape as Q shaman and uh you know <laughs> all stormed the capital yeah and uh were cosplaying were larping as uh insurrectionists and managed to actually get people killed in the process and so i feel like conspiracy theory is on a lot of people's mind what advice would you give to listeners of how to engage productively with people who believe presumably crazy things yeah oh man um yeah just to address the the times uh i feel before you had kind of the separation of uh you know church and state skeptics versus uh, Bigfoot skeptics. And w- whenever mm. you would talk about these kind of fringe ideas, even even 9-11 or the moon landing or JFK's assassination, it, it felt like it was at a remove from everything else, or, or, or at least things that had real uh, import and would affect people's lives. So you always had to sort of make the case of, well, what is the harm? And it was always a few steps removed from something. But yeah, I think we we've now kind of reaped what society has sown in terms of um, 
just the the lack of requiring solid evidence for claims, uh, the ability to um, the the ability to just sort of take someone at their word when they say crazy things that that resonate with you on an emotional level. So um, yeah, this these are tough times. And uh, to, to the question of what to say to people, I'll, I'll just preface it by saying that um, I am not the the paragon of the best behavior at all times. I think a lot of people look at my responses online and say, oh, you're very patient. But I lose patience many times. And for example, I have a cousin who's very much into all of these things. And they really do lump together. You know, show me an anti-vaccine advocate and I'll show you someone susceptible to QAnon and 5G radiation it's, fears. It's like a, the, you know, physicists are looking for the theory of everything. It's like the conspiracy. <laughs> of everything it has merged it's all merged now into like this conspiracy of everything but it but it's all internally inconsistent yeah go on one of my first forays into this world to to waylay the question just another moment uh was uh creationism like i was a creationist and learning about the science of evolution was one of the, the things that really fueled my uh, exit from Christianity. And uh, one of those revelations was recognizing that all of the creationist arguments weren't arguments for creation as much as they were uh, seeking anomalies within the theory of evolution mm-hmm. and pointing to those and say, well, what about this one item that was carbon dated to be 100,000 years old? And okay, well, because carbon dating is only accurate up to, you know, so many tens of thousands of years, you know. And and I think I see that within all of these uh, beliefs is that um, the belief itself isn't as important as just poking holes in the uh, pre- prevailing wisdom and mm. the uniting, um, like the the platform on which it sits is this distrust of institutions and others. And that's really hard to pull people away from. So I think what Carrie and I always talk about on the show is uh, when you have this person in your life, the most important thing to do is still um, be there for them. Let them know that you care about them enough that your care uh, rises above your disagreement and that you'll you'll be there for them so that they know if they do start to have questions about this belief that you're not someone who's there waiting just to point a finger and go, ha-ha, you're an idiot – um, that that you're someone who will listen to them and entertain their doubts and their questions and um, seek the answers with them and collaboratively and demonstrate that kind of a care for evidence, uh, which is a really tough position to be in because then whenever you post something, you have to you know measure twice and cut once. You have to be really careful to go check your sources, look it up in a in a separate search, and um, you know at least do due diligence. What is the source of this? Is this a reliable source? And you model that behavior and try to stick to the facts. And I know it's tough because you want to get in that quick dig. You want to say that little thing that cuts them down. But it's more important to keep the lines of communication open and let them let them at least see you as someone who will still be there for them if they finally come out. But just know this is, I think, the most important thing. You will never talk someone out of a belief like that in the span of a conversation. 
Absolutely. N- no and super rare. Almost never. Right. Yeah. No yeah. interactions don't end with you know what? Actually, you're right. I don't believe in this QAnon stuff. You're right. That's silly. What was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs time to internalize that, to digest it, and to make it their own so that they own that knowledge and that journey out of the belief. So so if you want to be there for them, just be willing to plant a seed, to use the Christian mm-hmm. metaphor, and let that seed grow and um, try to be patient and kind. I'm not always the best example of that, but that's, uh, I think, what we can strive for. Yeah, it's uh, and it's for the long haul. Like it's the long game, <laughs> and yeah. that's that's what's so hard about this. And and just to clarify this for the audience, my view is that if we're able to do this, it that's great. A lot of us just might not be able to. Like we might yeah. just not have the spoons. You know, a lot of especially if it deals with minority issues, and you are a minority. Like yep, you know, trans oh, yeah. people. You don't you don't need to deal with you know anti trans bullshit. Gay people. You don't need to deal with anti gay bullshit. Like your mm-hmm. your well being comes first and foremost. But yes, you know if if we are able to relationship is really where transformation happens you know and i i look at the history of civil rights and and equal rights and and so on and i see this common thread of uh, appealing to common humanity and drawing a broader circle you know creating a broader circle which includes those who we think are really fucking wrong or yeah. have really awful beliefs. But it's that, you know, when when they draw a circle, I forget who said this. There was some Episcopal Peter priest. Singer. I think it was Peter Singer. Yeah. Some it was some Episcopal priest, an, an activist who is queer, who said No, it wasn't it was someone uh, else. When I know, they draw I know he a circle, talks about the expanding circle of uh, Yes, you know, but concern. you know, when when they when they draw a circle that excludes you. I will draw a larger circle that includes ah. them. Larger circle is humani- our common humanity and appeal to I that like common that. humanity and our common needs and you know our our common values. And I I find that the best method when it also comes to conspiracy bullshit mm-hmm. is um, you know appealing to that broader humanity. I find that it is helpful in that context as well. Yeah. Um, um, and you made such a good point there that it is not your job to do any of mm-hmm. that. Um, exactly. And you feel free to tap out anytime, even if you've got no one to tap. And, you know, it takes a lot of research and time, like all and emotional fines. labor. And you might already yeah. have a full time job, right? right. Like, right. <laughs> like you might, all, you might already be busy and this is not your job. So I yeah. I just always have to clarify to listeners when I veer into this, when I veer down this road, it is not there is no judgment and there's no obligation. There is no duty to do this. This yeah. is entirely voluntary. Anyway, Very important. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes you have to put that a barrier in place again for your own mm-hmm. sanity. Uh, you know, you mm-hmm. see those posts where people say, hey, if you're still at this point, if you're a Trump supporter, you need to unfriend me right now. You know, that kind of thing. I, I haven't done that. Haven't felt the need to. But, you know, when you do put up those borders, again, for your own sanity, maybe you can lay them in such a way that you say, hey, I'm here for you when you're ready to talk, but right now I feel like we can't have a productive conversation. Mm, I think that's wise. So where do you think 
where do you think this comes from in our culture? And by this, I mean this lack of trust in the prevailing narrative, this lack of trust in authority, in authority figures. And, you know, I can do my theorizing. I feel like it's a very American thing. I feel mm-hmm. like there's something about American culture that kind of lends itself to this. And I think that it is historically American. You know, America mm-hmm. has been like a a hotbed of <laughs> all kinds of crazy and, and, you know, religious innovation and woo and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, part of me wonders if... It's like our hardcore Protestant background and and this deep distrust of a mediating priestly class of any kind, and that maybe that was transferred from from the Protestant Reformation to like culture at large. <laughs> I don't know. Do, where do you think this comes from? Yeah, I um, well, first of all, I'll recommend a book that I thought was incredibly insightful on this topic. Mm. It's a fantasy land. I think the author is Kurt yes. Anderson. That's right. Um, I've been meaning to read that. Yeah, and it's it's like the 500-year span of American mm. history and what in our DNA kind of makes us uniquely uh, predisposed to fantasy in its various forms. And it goes into everything from Scientology to, you know, even Walt Disney. <laughs> you know, I say that advisedly mm. as a big, uh, obvious fan of Disney. But, um, it, and also just religious revivals. Yeah, I there's... A whole soup there, but I think some of the important uh, components are that we we tend to embrace people who say things that are out of the ordinary, rather than just saying, "Oh, Ron Hubbard, you're crazy." Or um, you mean as a as a culture in America, as, or just as a, we as the human race? <laughs> no, as, as a culture in America, okay. and and of course you can point to other cultures, and a lot of these beliefs have gained currency in other. Country, so mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say that this is completely unique to America. I just think that we are uh, uniquely fertile soil uh, when it comes to these ideas. But yeah, when someone s- sits on the street corner and starts preaching something, we'll give them a listen. You know, we have this kind of sense of fairness where we won't just immediately uh, th- toss someone aside and say, "You're an idiot. Cut it out." We'll say, well, okay, let's give you a, a listen. And, and you know, it seems to come from a good place that we want to give people a fair hearing. But with someone like, you know, Joseph Smith or L. Ron Hubbard or, you know, someone who's kind of compulsively a liar, Trump, uh, they shouldn't be afforded that. And that's when it becomes a glitch rather than a feature or a bug rather than a feature mm. that um, that we give them too much of a hearing when we really properly should sort of shut them down and say, well, you're just pathologically unreliable. Um, yeah. A- another thing that I think mm. uh, maybe sparks the distrust is this desire to uh, sort of take the the world situation as it is and work backwards from that, assuming that someone planned this. And I think it's a certain assumption of agency. So we see the world and you know, we see JFK get shot and we think, well, it can't have just been like one guy who wanted to kill him. There has to be a much deeper story here. So who wanted him dead? And so as soon as something happens, people work backwards from that and then work their logic out so that George Soros wanted you know, X to happen and Bill Gates paid for Y to occur. Mm, I think that's yeah, another yeah. big factor. And 
you know, as a former conspiracy theorist myself, and I mean, I was deep. I was really, really deep in it mm-hmm. for in my early 20s. And I believed all of it. You know, mm-hmm. I thought 2012 was going to be the end of the world. I thought <laughs> I, I truly I was terrified. You know, it like ruined my life for a couple of years because I was like, everything's going to collapse. I believed Obama was going to institute FEMA camps, you know, just yeah. like yeah. all of all wow. of the cr- all of the crazy Alex Jones shit. I believed it. And part of it looking back was this. It was it was hard for me to understand that no one ruled the world. Mm, mm-hmm. It was right. hard for me to because I think that I have a really high pattern seeking brain. And mm-hmm. I think that I see patterns when they aren't there. And I think I, yes. I and I think that might be a quality of conspiracy theorists where it's like I think I see a pattern and it's hard for me to think that there might not be something behind that. And obviously you know? it's the underpinning of religion as well. You know, it all comes down Absolutely. to agency. Wow, uh, you know, a lightning just struck my house. There's something out there that's angry at me, and what can I do to appease it? Do I have to yeah, kill somebody it, or something? It's like the default is to assume agency. Yeah. And I, th- I, f- I think that there's a, a theory about this. Like, if you're, you know— Right, there's pre- like the type 1 and type 2 error— where... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the type where it's like if you see if you see a rustling in the bushes, you know, your uh-huh. primordial man and you see a rustling in the bushes and it's a tiger, but you don't but your brain doesn't register it yeah. as a threat or having agency, then you're more likely to die. There's a and survival so, benefit to yes. treating it like it's a tiger, even if it's just a rustling of the wind, it's still exactly. is going to, you know, more often than not result in you surviving if you treat it like a tiger and you get the heck out of there and and you treat it as there being agency there right. behind it and so now it's like our brains you know our primitive brains are looking at you know the entire fucking world and there's that same instinct to see agency when it isn't there you know and also i i had survived a shooting in, when i was 19 years old this is a whole long story that i've already told on the podcast so i don't need to get into it now but i survived a shooting I was uh, right there when it happened and then, you know, had massive PTSD afterwards. And I really think that the trauma of the shooting, you know, I was super hyper vigilant. And I think that put conspiracy brain into high gear. And Mm. I think that Mm -hmm. I really think that the trauma of what I experienced and the hyper vigilance, I think that just totally like routed my brain to think like a conspiracy theorist and i think that's also where that came from for me wow and a lot of it well this kind of ties in i was gonna say a lot of it comes down to who gets to you first there's sort of a time-based component to this because Mm. if the first time you hear about 5g is from someone who um, is telling you how dangerous it is and that they're mm-hmm. you know, like COVID is somehow communicated by 5G or weakens your immune system. Or if, if that's your association, uh, it's really hard to redo first impressions. So then when someone else comes along mm. and says, oh, actually, it's just this new technology. It's kind of short range. That's why you need to have more uh, antennas around, but it'll get you faster internet so you don't need to burn down the towers. Uh, you now that explanation has to fight against this discomfort you have from hearing the term 5G. Whereas if the first time you were exposed to it was just in the technology capacity and you understand how non-ionizing radiation works and that it's perfectly safe, then you hear someone saying, 
this is going to cook you and it's going to mess with your mind, then you can easily sort of toss that aside and say, well, that's silly. So a lot of it has Mm. to do with just where you hear these things first. And I had a, a, a dalliance with conspiracy theory in the eighth grade, I remember. I had a teacher who uh, got me to read Behold a Pale Horse and yes. um, uh, the Montauk Project and the Philadelphia Experiment. And I was getting really into all that stuff, subliminal messages. Uh, so definitely I, I kind of understand that mindset and I had that for a long time. And that sort of got me first. And later on I had to, uh, as Yoda would say, unlearn what I had learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like what sticks first, like what lodges in your brain first. And, you know, I had just assumed that the Bilderberger group mm-hmm. and um, the Trilateral and, Commission, uh, the Trilateral Commission and then Skull and um, Bones, yep. Skull and Bones, the Illuminati and uh, oh, what yep. was the other what a uh, 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 Bohemian Grove? Yes, that's right. You know, that and, that they again, that, the- that was the. Yeah, go on, go on. Oh, all these things tie together. So you have exactly <laughs> like people. Uh, you know, my um, my aunt. Uh, she's the mother of this cousin that I talk about, and I think she was infected by a lot of these ideas that my cousin talks about all the time. And uh, she would have Bible study meetings where they would get together to talk about the Illuminati, and uh-huh. you, th- you think, okay, yep. what is what does Psalms have to do with the Illuminati? But it it all it's the syncretism, you know, where these ideas just come together, and most people can uh, withstand quite a bit of internal inconsistency. Uh, yes, and this is something Carrie and I talk about on the show. Uh, we think that something that makes us as people a little resistant to this is that we're big time consistency seekers consistency seekers. So if someone makes a statement, we immediately start weighing it against other statements. Well, that's interesting. If that's true, then that can't be true. Whereas I think a lot of people can just let all these different ideas sort of sit in a soup together and it doesn't really bother them that, you know, Illuminati belief isn't necessarily consistent with a God who has the world in his hands and controls everything that happens. Or listening to a podcast with a flat earther and a hollow earther and they are like really getting along right and they're like really into it and, and you're like wait the, a second these can't and the entire time you're like i'm not seeing the venn diagram i'm not <laughs> i'm not seeing the overlap here <laughs> right and so often carrie and i walk into one of these like um conferences like the conscious life expo where some people are preaching about aliens some people are talking about free energy devices some people are talking about crystal healing and uh you know you have three different booths and each of them have their own little spiritual leader that they all follow and you think why aren't they all fighting against each other they should be uh, trying to figure out who's right who is the one one correct truth but for whatever whatever reason that doesn't bother them and instead they have the common uh, enemy of the shadow government or, you know, them, they, you know, whoever it is that in the ether who's trying to keep us from spirituality. Which is a fantastic book by John Ronson, by the way, Them by yes. John Ronson. It's brilliant. It is about this topic. Like, it's about conspiracy theories. So everyone, it's it's the one where he breaks into Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones at the oh, very right. end and like accidentally launches Alex Jones's career. Oh, man. 
Oops. And uh, yeah, <laughs> oops. But <laughs> it's it's a great book. Anyway, so before we wrap up, uh, you said before we started recording that you had some questions for me about Satanism, and I would like to give you the floor to ask those if you'd like. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I'm just always curious to know more, and I haven't spent much time within sure. the Satanic Temple. Um, so uh, you've mentioned that you kind of drift through a lot, you drifted through a lot of different beliefs and ideas and groups. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you find this as sort of your uh spiritual home? Is that a correct thing to sure. say? Yeah, I would call it a, a spiritual home in a non-theistic, non-supernaturalist sense, a spiritual right. home. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I, I think that I came to the realization, this was back in, I would say, 2016, 2017, I came to the realization that two things about me could actually coexist. Two things that I had thought were in conflict could actually coexist. One is that I am that that I had become a deeply skeptical person and could no longer take at face value claims of the supernatural or claims of God without due evidence, you mm. know, without mm-hmm. uh, without good evidence. I'm not saying it's out there. I'm not saying it isn't out there. Mm. I'm just saying I haven't seen good enough evidence. You mm-hmm. know, it's like I'm agnostic. I allow for the possibility of there being some wiggity shit in our universe. I just, I just want sufficient evidence for it, right? Mm-hmm. And there's that part of me, and there is the fact that I'm a deeply religious person. Mm. I gain a sense of... I. That doesn't mean that people can't be happy without religion. I think people can flourish without religion, but for whatever reason, I personally don't want to. Okay. And I I value the role of religion in my life. I have I have always been deeply religious, and you know I I kind of went to the Episcopal Church to for my faith to die. That you know, <laughs> it was like this wonderful hospice for my faith. <laughs> And they were great. They were so good. You know, yeah. they were they were fantastic. And that's really where my faith died. And hmm. but I found that my what I originally wanted was to remain a non-theistic Christian and to remain in the Christian world as a non-theist. But you know, it was, it was just like I bet there's a I lot would, of people that fit in that. Uh... There there are after a lifetime though of fighting for my inclusion as a gay person. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, just a a lifetime, a lifetime of fighting for a place at the table. It was like there was this one last battle, which you hear was that, Christians, you could have kept Stephen if you'd just been more welcoming of gay people. I mean, it's probably true. <laughs> it's absolutely true, probably. I mean, I I think that I ultimately left because I I stopped believing in it, but the gay part and the way I was treated, you know, I went through ex-gay therapy. Mm. I oh, I man. did all of that. You know, I I went through that. Wow. Um and so the gay part definitely played a pretty big role and it was like there was just this one this last battle of trying to find a place in the church hmm. that was accommodating to non-theism and it was like no i'm too tired i'm done hmm. and i i discovered the satanic temple online and it was like everything it it had the the non-theism it had the non-theism and it had the symbolism Mm. It had the it had the symbolism, the community, the huh. ethos, the 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 ethics of a religion, the yeah. the the symbolism, the ritual, the 
um, ability to still enter a state of enchantment without believing it. You know, enchantment is really important to me. The the ability to kind of slip in and out of this enchanted yeah. state that religion offers us without also having to blur what is objective reality. You know, and that's that's really important to me. And I found all of that in Satanism. And uh, you know, everyone every everyone is like, oh, this was such a huge step. You know, how do you go from being a Christian <laughs> to being a Satanist? You know, it's sa- it seems like a really huge step. Is and frying the, pan into the fire a correct uh, <laughs> metaphor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the and the truth is, I don't think I don't think it was a big step because okay. it's like I've I've always been I've always felt demonized because of my sexuality. I've always felt like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Being included has always been a fight for me. Um, and now you have a community of outsiders. And now I have a community of outsiders. And so being a gay Christian was perfect practice for being a Satanist. Okay, so here's a question, because I I feel like the conspiracy theorists in our lives believe that secretly we must be doing all of these horrible things. We're taking marching orders from Bill Gates or... George Soros or whoever, <laughs> you know, and, and yes. I always think how silly that is because, A, if they only knew how, how, I don't know, busy I am, how much I spend my time just trying mm-hmm. to get work done, I've got my nose in the grindstone, you know, like if you really just sat and watched my life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would not be exciting or salacious in any way. <laughs> like, you, like, right, you know, they, exactly. They have all these fever dreams of us eating babies or whatever. So I'm, I'm curious if... Let's say uh, conspiracy theorists or believers or whoever had the sky camera where they could just watch you all the time. Is there anything that is a component of your satanic temple membership that they would be able to point to and be like, aha, see, look there, he's harming the world? No, no. I mean, so so there's I think that we can answer this on two levels. I Mm -hmm. think on the objective level of behavior. No, you know, we we according we believe, to secular ethics things that we yeah would all agree you know upon. according not according anybody. to exactly but also you know we uh in general we practice nonviolence we you know we we follow the seven tenets if you're if you're not familiar with the seven tenets which are kind of the the core the seven core yeah. statements of our of the temple and you know it it has you know the first one is one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason you know the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions and it goes on and so in in practice there's really we have picnics together <laughs> like you know we have potlucks yeah. we might we might also have orgies but they're always consensual and so you know but then there's this symbolic level and people i think see right see symbolism as many people see symbolism as on par with 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 actual abuse and actual degradation and right. actual the mere depiction harm. of a baphomet or something is the uh, mere the mere depiction yeah and you know i have my altar back here you huh. can't see it it's kind oh, of nice. dark but i have my altar right back there and it has all kinds of spooky stuff on it i oh, do rich my sister I do would be freaked out she wouldn't get anywhere near that yeah, yeah, and then my partner's a pagan, and so the rest of the house is full of pagan shit. My family and, doesn't like that I have an Ouija board on my shelf. 
Oh, I have an Ouija board too. What? What? Uh... <laughs> oh, this is. You know what? Actually, we got a new one because the other one really didn't work well, and I uh-huh. guess it's partially hidden behind a boomerang, so I can't tell you the brand name or anything. But it's better yeah. than the other one. So I would say symbolically, they would look at everything we do symbolically and be like, "This is proof." That would be and their indictment, just based that on would symbology. Be, that would be and and. You know, but the truth is, you know, to quote Lucian Greaves, who's our founder, Hmm. evil done in the name of Christ is still evil, and good done in the name of Satan is still good. (laughs) And, you know, what we, one of the things that I personally really try to, to emphasize is that our intuitions are often wrong and the, the feeling of disgust or the feeling of wrong, that something is wrong, that is an incredibly unreliable feeling. And we have to look at people's behaviors. We have to look at the evidence mm-hmm. and, and how people treat one another. And so the what i you know whenever people are like isn't isn't the word satanist a bit too extreme you know mm. wouldn't you have a, a better track record if well, you it's, were it's like it's almost it's kind of setting yourself up for these kinds of conversations it, it is and and it isn't deliberately to do that you know it isn't ultimately you know my conversion to satanism was an interior one that really didn't have to do with offending anyone it didn't have it had entirely to do with me and uh and in fact, you know, my plans were to just keep quiet about it <laughs> for like okay. the rest of my life. And then that did not turn out well. Okay. <laughs> but but the a lot of people are like, you know, is I like what you do. You give this gives me the creeps. And don't you think that you would have a better track record in terms of your activism mm. if you didn't use the name Satanist? Isn't isn't it a, a branding problem? And, uh, you know, there are two answers. There are many answers to that, one of which is, well, I can't really call it anything else because I, a Satanist is what I am. I'm not a humanist pretending mm. to be a Satanist. I'm a Satanist who happens to be a humanist. Oh, wow. I'm, yeah. But but then the other part of it is that feeling that you have when you hear the word Satan, mm-hmm. that, that icky feeling, that gross feeling. That's the exact same feeling that a lot of people still have when they think about gay people mm. or mm-hmm. trans people, that feeling. It is, and we cannot judge based on that feeling. And so Satanism is kind of accidentally a challenge to our intuitions. That's interesting to hear because, yeah, it it seems like, to me, I've always kind of thought people who uh, identify as Satanists, they're sort of willing to stand in that gap in society and say, we're going to, you know, whenever the Christians try to put up their memorials or monuments, we're going to say, well, then we get to put up ours too. And, you know, the satanic temple is performing a particular service to the community by community by uh, forcing everyone to remember when we talk about religious tolerance well then we're really talking about tolerance and here's what it means look now we're passing out pamphlets and, and holding meetings at your child's school how do you feel about that uh, you know which i appreciate I won't read the passage right now, but Joseph Laycock, who wrote kind of the definitive book on TST, the history of TST, oh, it's fantastic. Oh, cool. Strongly recommend it. It's yeah. uh, published by Oxford Press. He's a religious studies scholar. Um, he talks about how 
TST kind of fills the role of of accuser in Job, where they what TST does legally is it tests the huh. limits. It tests the limits of the values that people are professing. So do people profess free speech? Or or rather, do people profess uh, religious freedom? Yeah. TST is going to lean on that and test the limits. Mm. And when you break, you were never committed to that principle in the first place. See, I, I think before I would have said that the Satanic Temple largely serves as kind of a, a more activist involved version of mm-hmm. like Pastafarianism, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. But but from talking to you, it sounds like it does fill a more personal role for you. That's as a correct. Human being. We, you know, my observation is that people in the temple, just, you know, my anecdotal experience, you know, from all the, you know, interviewing the founder, Lucian, all the way down to just, you know, hanging out with general membership is they really see it as a religion. Hmm. They don't see it as satire at all, you know. And in fact, if it were if it were satire, it would be really bad satire because it <laughs> makes our because it makes our lives miserable. You know, in a lot of ways, it 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 is not yeah. pleasant to go about life as a Satanist. It <laughs> you know, if you've seen the movie Hail Satan, Lucian Greaves put on put on a uh, bulletproof vest. You don't you don't put on a bulletproof vest in the name of a hoax or in the name of satire. Maybe you do, but but it that for for me it it is very much first and foremost a religious identity and my understanding is that the the activism really only takes place when the temple feels like its rights are being infringed upon and really the vast majority of the life of the temple is interior you know it is it is within the temple outside of the public eye they do rituals they have huge huge online communities they have and and most of that stuff people just the outside world never sees. Yeah, yeah. that was that was going to be my last question, which is just what's the time commitment? Obviously, there's no time for burning cats <laughs> or anything, but you know, uh, you, you, <laughs> you mentioned potlucks, you having like weekly yeah. services. So because it is an individualist religion, it is entirely what you make of it. And I would say that I've sunk uh, a lot more time than I would have ever expected into Satanism. You know, I I have a pretty thriving online community, which is mostly made up of Satanists, and so I I sink a lot of time into that. Um, I'm on the ordination council for the Satanic Temple. I sink a lot of time into that. But there's also just the way, and, and so the level of community that you engage in, or the level of ritual that you engage in. It's entirely individualized. You know, some people are, you know, lonely swamp Satanists who just live out in the wilderness <laughs> away from everyone. And then there are people right. who are really, really interconnected in their local chapter or what have you or online. But there's also just the reality that in, in for me, my experience is that in the same way, following Christ kind of just permeated my entire existence. You know, it I lived my life through the filter and the lens of Christ, you know, to live as Christ, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. to follow Christ. Um I really live my life informed by the myth of Satan. 
and mm-hmm. by and you the, say the, the myth I- of Satan, so you you do not believe there is a real correct. Uh, yeah, we're I'm a non-theist. It's all symbolic for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, and and for the temple as well. It it's non-theistic. It is symbolic, I, but that doesn't make that, it that's less the, powerful. That's always the first thing I try to communicate to believers when I'm talking about this. You're so worried about Satanism. You know the Satanists I know of and have met. Don't actually believe in Satan, so you exactly need, you exactly need to get that out of your head. But it's really hard to to it's do that. It's really hard to reframe it. And you know, non theism, non theistic religion, it's such a huge gap. It's such a huge chasm for people to to get their bridge. Heads around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and so you know, it's like I live my life informed by the story of Satan, by the myth of Satan, by that symbol, which means that you know. If I'm reading alone in my basement, I'm yeah. still a Satanist, Man. and Ugh. there's a way in which it, it per- you're clothed in it. It permeates you. We've talked about this in our exorcism series, but like Satan is almost defined in the negative spaces in the Bible. Like there's very yes. little actually about him, and and even then, it's cobbled together from other things where they're actually mm-hmm. talking to some long forgotten king or other figure, you know, and and it's just been assumed to be talking about Satan. You know, it's a reference to Venus as the morning star, and it got turned into yep. Lucifer. You know, I I again, I could go on this forever, but I would love to hear more about kind of where you pull the different pieces of the myth of Absolutely. Satan and aspects of his personality. Does it include other texts and non-canonical texts? I'd love to learn more about that. The the primary source is Milton. That's where so oh. so actually there's this there's a liter so it, it's specifically rooted in a literary tradition which <sighs> started with Milton. And that's where the bulk of it comes from is this literary stream which kind of started with Milton and that's like the gold vein. That's that's the main source of inspiration. And then the Romantics took that, took Milton and valorized mm. his Satan, mm-hmm. um, a- associated him with feminism, associated <laughs> him with enlightenment, right? With uh, with science, with reason, with um, revolution, with the French Revolution, so on and so forth. And and uh, socialism, a lot of socialists associated Satan with their cause. And, and that all started with Milton hmm. and the literary influence. And then we there's this long literary tradition up to the current day of... And conveniently, uh, all of these enemies of the church and organized religion have been grouped together under the banner of Satan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all, all, the, conveniently. all the best people. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. Great. So anyway, we're at our time. Okay. Um, well, but thank this you. Has thank been... you for answering those questions. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. You know, one does not become a public Satanist without, you know, being willing to talk about it a lot and answer lots of questions. So it is always my pleasure. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, it's been a great conversation. And uh I'll have to keep in touch. I'm sure I'll have more follow-up questions. Yeah, absolutely. Truly, anytime. And you're welcome on the show, anytime. You and Carrie both. Thank you. And uh, where can people find your work for anyone who's interested? Oh, yeah. Well, we're uh, part of the Maximum Fun family, so you can find us at MaximumFun.org. We're one of the shows there. Also, OhNoPodcast.com. We're on all the evil uh, social medias, so OhNoPodcast on Twitter and uh, OnRac, O-N-R-A-C, for Ono, Ross, and Carrie on uh, Facebook. 
So uh, yeah, follow along and hope you enjoy the adventures. People always want to know where to get started. I would say just kind of look at the list of investigations and see what sounds interesting to you. Absolutely. And then you will sink hundreds and hundreds of hours (laughs) into it like I have. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. <laughs>